0: Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 13. And we are in verse 18. As we have sung about inviting the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being present. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who is our teacher that leads us and guides us into truth. So let's welcome the Holy Spirit as we study the scriptures this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it communicates your character and your love for us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit is here with us, and Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you into our time. We know that you're the teacher, and we invite you to teach us. Please remove distractions, the busyness in our hearts and lives, that our hearts could be that fertile soil for your word. So we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The setting of John 13 is Jesus is just moments away from the cross. It's the last supper. It's the last time he's going to sit down with his disciples And have this meaningful meal uh, together prior to his crucifixion. He institutes communion. He gives communion to them. And then he surprises them. He gets down and washes their feet, takes the position of a servant that was really exemplary of his whole life and says, guys, as I have served you I want you to now go and serve one another. But there is an evil plot that is taking place. Judas is contemplating betraying Christ. The religious leaders want to to kill Jesus. And the focus is now turned upon Judas. And Jesus says, what you are to go and do, do quickly. Also, we find Peter. And Peter is in a place where he's feeling more committed to Christ than he ever has before. He's ready to follow Christ, he's ready to die with Christ, but he underestimates his own weakness, and ultimately he's going to fall into pride. And in the midst of this, Christ gives us our mission statement. Christ tells us what we're to be about as believers, that we're to love one another as he has loved us. And through this, through this love being expressed to each other that God's going to reach the world. So verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture may be fulfilled, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus has just said that one of you is not clean. He was referring to Judas. But now he clarifies and says, I'm not speaking of all of you. There's just one of you that has an evil heart. So that the scriptures might be fulfilled and he quotes psalms 41 verse 9 There's all of these places in the old testament that are pointing to jesus david writes psalms 41 And he writes this phrase that jesus quotes he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me Judas has lifted bread with jesus. He's the friend of christ. He's at this last supper But he's going to betray jesus I want to read Psalms 41 verse 9 to you. It says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who I ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. David went through betrayal in his life from Saul, from his own son Absalom, But right here, he says, it was a familiar friend. It was a close friend that betrayed me. It was Ahithophel who'd been his faithful counselor. When Absalom turned his back on David to overthrow him, Ahithophel went with Absalom. And that hurt David's heart. And ultimately, that betrayal that David went through pointed to the betrayal that the greater than David... Jesus Christ was going to go through. The interesting thing about Ahithophel and Judas is they both committed suicide. They both killed themselves after their betrayal. Why did Jesus go through this betrayal? He knew that this was going to happen. He knew that this was in the heart of Judas, but also this was the plan of God. You have Judas's own personal responsibility, but you also have God's plan. It was God's plan that Jesus would go through this, that he would be led to the cross through personal betrayal, and I think it's because of God's love for us. Because one of the things that you've probably already experienced in life, but no doubt you will experience in life, is betrayal from a very close source. It might be from inside of your own family, it might be from a very close friend. It will no doubt at times be inside of the body of Christ, you'll get hurt, right? And Jesus understands, and Jesus knows exactly what it is to experience betrayal, and he can comfort our hearts. In verse 19, now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this right now so that When it does happen, when Judas does betray me, you'll have greater faith in me. Fulfilled prophecy gives us greater faith in Christ, doesn't it? In fact, in Revelation 19, it tells us the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The witness of Jesus is prophecy. It points to Jesus and Christ fulfills prophecy. In verse 20, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. This would be an encouragement to the disciples, guys, I'm sending you. And when someone receives you, then they're receiving me. And when they receive me, they're receiving the Father. This also encourages us to receive those that are doing God's work. If you know someone serving the Lord, that they've been sent by Christ, receive them. Because as you receive them, you're receiving Christ and you're receiving the Father. Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Christ is troubled in his spirit. This word troubled, it means to be stirred or to be agitated. Sometimes I think we picture God as being emotionless because he's all powerful and he's holy, that he has no emotion he has no heart but we're made in God's image and whether you like it or not you are an emotional creature an emotional being guys you too you might have a emotion but you are an emotional creature as well right god has emotion and there's times in scripture that you see god overjoyed and you see god grieved and and here jesus is grieved he's he's hurt he's troubled in his spirit Because he knows that Judas is going to betray him. And he speaks and he says one of you will betray me. And and he declares that with broken body language. John who is recording these things saw the troubled spirit of Jesus. Sometimes when you're talking with someone you can sense that they're hurting. You can sense that they're broken. You can sense that it's deep within them. And that's what John is witnessing of Christ and that's how much this betrayal that Judas does hurts Christ. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. They get the message. They understand someone's going to betray Christ. And they're looking around going, who is it? Is it me? Matthew's gospel tells us that they all ask the question, is it I? They all saw that within their own hearts, they had the capability, they had the capacity to betray Christ. That's pretty amazing. There's an old hymn that expresses to God, God, protect me from wandering because I know the propensity of my heart is to drift. My direction that I can go without God's help in my life is God, keep me close because I'll drift away from you. I think it's healthy for us to, to understand the kind of depravity that's inside of us. And the disciples are honestly asking the question, is it me? Now, there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom whom, of his disciples. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. This shows the closeness of this meal, the closeness of the relationship that the disciples had with Jesus, to share a meal in the Middle East is completely different today than it is for us. When we share a meal, it's not too much of an expression of friendship and fellowship and oneness. It is to a small degree. But if you get invited over for a Memorial Day barbecue, that's nice, but it's not necessarily this deep expression of friendship and, and, and oneness. Right? If someone says, hey, let's go get a Chipotle. D- burrito, it's appreciated, right? It's, it's good food, but it's not necessarily this, this deep expression of, of oneness and, and friendship. We've had the opportunity as a church to go on a few trips to, to Israel, and we've had the same bus driver every time. And he's Arab, and he's invited us to have a meal with it, his family one year. And that was a big deal. And he invited all of his family. And we had the Rocky Mountain Calvary family. And he was saying, I'm expressing friendship uh, to you. And it's always a real joy to be able to, to spend time with him. So for the disciples to eat together like this, it's an expression of oneness. And they're not necessarily sitting at a table like we do or sitting on couches like we do. They're, they're sitting on the ground and they would lean up against each other. So John the disciple is leaning up on the chest of Jesus. That's a pretty close relationship with Jesus, isn't it? Like, I'm just going to recline on Christ for a little bit. There's no better place than that. John also writes, 1 John, and in the first few verses he says to us, the fellowship that John has with Jesus that we have access to as well, so that our joy can be full. So guess what? You can lean up on the chest of Jesus and have a conversation and hear his heart for you. How do we know that this is John? Because he only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never records his own name. Isn't that beautiful? He had found identity in knowing that he's loved by Jesus. This is what I know, Jesus loves me. And he was not worried about his accomplishments. He wasn't worried about what other people say about him. And we're searching and longing for identity. A lot of times we find our identity in what we do. In our culture, you can't help but ask people, so what do you do? And you got to find something to be able to, to say. You know, as a parent, you're always being asked, so what do your kids do? Like they're defined by what they do and you're defined as a parent by what they do. Well, you know, they eat and they hang out. And yeah, you know. And if you don't say, they're on the debate team. And they won the chess tournament. And they're, they're on the Olympic swim team. And yeah, right? You feel that pressure as, as a parent of all the things that your, your kid does. And, and that's the identity that we're finding is, is what we do and what our families do. And even as a church, people ask, well, well what do you do? Well, what's, what's happening at Rocky Mountain Calvary? Well, we study the Bible. You, you do what what 's your plan for the summer we 're going to study the bible you know it 's like that doesn 't sound like a very impactful church right? What, what are you doing right? What are you doing for the for the for the community and there 's all that pressure and for us to be able to say i 'm not defined by what i do i 'm defined by the fact that Jesus loves me and if i 'm going to boast in anything i 'm going to boast in the fact that i 'm loved by God. Now we know this up here, we know this in our minds, but Allowing that to penetrate our hearts to go, oh, I'm loved by Christ. I know that I'm loved by Christ. He loves me. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. I love this. Peter's like, okay, John's in the strategic position to ask the question we're all thinking. Looks at John. John gets the message. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So John asked, "Who, who is it? Who's the one who is going to betray you? And Christ answers the question. He says, well, the one that I extend bread to this bread, this extension of fellowship and friendship and oneness, which also points to the blood of Jesus that's going to be shed to the broken body of Jesus that is going to be broken upon the cross uh, for us. Gives it right over to, to Judas. In verse 27, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. This sobering moment here in scripture where Satan enters into Judas. Judas has opened himself up to the work of Satan. This doesn't happen apart from Judas being a willing participant. Just like Christ doesn't come into our lives unless we allow it. We invite Christ into our lives. And so Judas has invited Satan into his life to participate in Satan's plan And Jesus perceives it, Jesus knows it, Jesus sees into the spiritual realm and speaks into it and says, what you have to do, do quickly. The word do quickly in the Greek literally means do it more quickly. There's this point of emphasis that says, okay, let's get this on. Christ is submitting himself to the cross. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So even though Christ spelled it out and said, whoever I extend this bread to is the betrayer, they're thinking, well, Judas is just assigned some task. He was the treasurer. He was the keeper of the money. He wrote the checks. And so go out and do this quickly. He needed to go pay for the dinner. There was poor that he needed to go and and minister to. Verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Judas goes to find the religious leaders to betray Christ. Remember the context here when we read verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. The context is the cross, clearly. Jesus is submitting himself to the cross, and the next thing that Christ says is the Son of Man is going to be glorified. God in human flesh is going to be glorified through the crucifixion. Jesus is going to glorify the Father through the crucifixion. The Father is going to glorify the Son through the crucifixion. I'd encourage you to spend some time in the Gospels reading through the cross of Jesus Christ, being reminded once again of the love of God displayed through the Father giving his only begotten Son. So when we look at the glory of God, we see the glory of God in creation. We see God's glory in all of these different aspects, but where God's glory shines the brightest is through Christ and specifically his crucifixion to try to answer this question, does God love me? The more that we understand the cross, the more we're able to be absolutely assured that Jesus loves us. Would would you be agreed? When we understand the depth of what it means that the Father would love us enough to, to give his Son... We see the glory of God. We see the love of God. Maybe you're needing some encouragement this morning. Do you know that the cross of Jesus Christ is a message to unbelievers if you don't know Jesus this morning? But it's also a message to believers. We're encouraged in the book of Hebrews to fix our eyes upon Jesus and remember his suffering lest we get discouraged in our own suffering. Sometimes when we're going through a hard time or we think we've got it bad, We meet someone that's got it a lot worse than us and we go, wow, I'm really humbled. I really don't have it that bad, right? And so when we focus on Christ and his love and and his sacrifice, it encourages us. It moves us. It says, I can keep going. I can receive that encouragement from the Lord. The glory of God's revealed at the cross of Christ. Verse 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. As I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, Jesus calls them dear children, dear children. These are grown men, but this expresses the heart of Christ to them and his loving care to them. I think this is most seen in the heart of a parent. Even as your kids grow, you still see them as your dear little children. You don't dare tell them that, especially when they're teens, right? But there's that that tenderness that you have towards them. And that's how Jesus sees his disciples. And he says, guys, I'm going away, and you can't come right now. And he's speaking of him going back into glory with the Father. And here's our marching orders. Here's our mission statement. Here's what the Christian life is about. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. A command. Jesus is commanding us as his followers to do this. This isn't optional. This isn't whether we feel like it or not. This is his command he gives to us. It's a new command to love one another. How is this a new command? Because of the definition. Love one another as I have loved you. Love is defined by the life of Jesus Christ. Because we can say love, but what in the world does that mean, Right? We use that phrase so so flippantly. It's all about love. Well, define love for me. And Jesus defines love and he says, I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. So we first need to be experiencing and be fully convinced that Jesus loves us. The disciples have walked with Christ and are going to experience the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and they know that they're loved by Jesus. Jesus. They just had their feet washed by Jesus. They're experiencing this love. They're convinced of this love. And so now they have the capacity to go and love one another. This may be worth writing down. I don't know. It's up to you. You get to choose that. Unloved people don't love very well. Have you noticed that? If someone hasn't experienced love, if they're not willing to receive love then in turn, it's really difficult for them to to love others. As you are loved by Christ, as you experience his love, then being able to follow that example to love one another the way that Jesus has loved you. The power of example. Yesterday, I got up in the attic because we have an attic fan. Highly recommend the attic fan. We love the attic fan. I don't know that we're going to need it this year, but it, we do have it and we gonna get it ready. So what it does is you open up some windows in the cool of the evening and it sucks in the cool air and takes the hot air out of the house into the attic. But in the winter, I go up there and put some insulation in it to keep cold air from coming down into the hallway. So now as we, in faith, enter into summer, <laughs> we've got to get up there and take out this insulation. Wyatt's been asking for a few years, probably three, Dad, when can I go in the attic? When can I go in the attic? And you can just tell for him and his imagination, as he looks up to the attic, like it's this wonderland. What is it like and what's what's up there? And I've got to experience this. And he's about ready to turn seven. And I figured, okay, this is the year for him to venture into the attic with me said buddy it's going to be itchy the insulation is going to be itchy so just to prepare you this is part of this experience that's going up there and a few minutes he comes in with his snowsuit over his shorts and t-shirt <laughs> just put it on zipped it up and then he goes and he gets his snow coat and he puts that on as well puts his hood over his head says dad i'm ready i'm ready for this right So we get the ladder and I'm teaching him how to go up a ladder and how to crawl into the attic. And then once you get in the attic where you've got to step so you don't fall fall through the the drywall. And he got to stick his hand into the fan and and pull out some of this insulation. But the way to learn that is not by lecture. We could sit at the kitchen table and say, all right, buddy, someday, Lord willing, you're going to get married. You're going to have your own family. Let me draw a diagram for you of what the attic looks like. And this is what you need to do. And, and go through the same instruction, but you've got to experience it, right? You've got you to experience it. If you're trying to teach someone to drive, you can explain it in a classroom. And that's, that's good. It does about this much. Then you go out and you say, you know what? You take the wheel. You hit the gas. You hit the brakes. You've you got to experience it. It's the same way with the love of God. We learn to love others by the reality of Christ loving us. And then we choose to be able to extend that to others. Now this is a lofty call. This is a lofty command to be able to love the way Jesus loves. This is not just your run-of-the-mill type of affection or love. This is God's love the way that he loves us. And please stay tuned. We're headed into a really sweet section of the gospel of John, this precious book. Jesus has one conversation that we record in several chapters, 14, 15, 16. It's all this conversation of the last supper. And Jesus gives this new command here And we lose the flow in the break of chapter and verses. Because Christ gives the what. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love one another as I've loved you. But he goes on to explain the how. And we get really frustrated with the how. In chapter 15, he's going to declare, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You can't bear fruit except through me. So as we abide in Jesus, as we believe in him and are in relationship with him, And endeavor to walk in obedience with him. It's Christ that produces this supernatural fruit of love in our lives. He'll go on to say, guys, it's going to be beneficial for me to go away, and I'm going to give you another, a helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living inside of us is our helper, the one who comes alongside and helps, and gives us the power to be able to love one another the way that Jesus did, because we can't do this on our own. If you take this command and try to do it on your own, it's not going to go very far. But if you abide in Christ and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit, follow the leading of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to help us to be able to love one another. So quickly, this morning I'm going to give you five ways that Christ loves us. The first is Christ's love is continual. It's continual. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. His love for us is everlasting. It's awesome. Christ's love is unconditional, and we hear this a lot. But what is conditional love? Conditional love is defined by terms. If you do this, I love you. But if you don't do this, I I don't love you. And that's a lot of human love, isn't it? But Christ's love is an unconditional love That's not based upon what we do, but it's based upon what he has done upon the cross. He loves you unconditionally. That's good news. The third way that Christ loves us is he loves us sacrificially. He left heaven and came to earth, humbled himself to the cross, gave himself upon the cross. He sacrificed himself upon the cross. And as we love one another, it involves sacrifice. It's not always easy. It's taking up our cross, denying ourselves, but saying, I'm gonna choose actions of love because Christ chose actions of love. He loves us sacrificially. Also, Jesus loves us truthfully. He tells us the truth, doesn't he? This love that we're to have for one another is inside of the truth of God. If this love is not inside of truth, we don't have Christ's love. So we want to speak truth to each other in love. It's a good friend that can tell you your breath stinks, right? It's a good friend that can tell you you've got some spinach in your teeth, right? And it's a good brother or sister in Christ that loves you enough to speak the truth to you in love. And the love of Christ is prayerful. He prays over us. He ever lives to make intercession for us and we pray for one another, Why is this love for one another so important? Verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How are people gonna know that we're followers of Christ? This word disciple means that we've chosen Jesus as our Lord, as our teacher. We're following him. He's our master. How will people know that Jesus is our master? By the way we treat each other. By the way we treat brothers and sisters in Christ. In my mind, I would think that Christ would say, look, the way that people are going to know that you're my follower is the way that you love unbelievers. And that's important for us to love unbelievers and to reach out with them with the love of Christ. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, how I'm going to draw a lost world to myself is the way that Christians love each other. This is God's tool. This is God's instrument of how He reaches a lost world, is for us to love each other with crazy, God like love. What is the thing that Satan always attacks? The way Christians treat each other. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. So at different times, we're really struggling like, man, this Christian's a jerk. I don't like them. I love Jesus, but I don't. Want to be around people. You ever thought that? Right? And Satan's really quick to want to come and divide the body because he knows what's at stake. And it's the testimony of Jesus out in the world. So when unbelievers see the way that we relate to each other as Christians, it should draw them to the love of God. They go, wow, I've never seen people treat each other like this. There's something different in your marriage. What's going on here? Well, it's Christ. There's something different in your family. You guys have all the same problems, but there's this love that is there. What is this? What's this thing that you call church and getting together with believers and, and why do you guys help each other out like this? And man, it seems like you've got a community around you that can't be duplicated and then they're, they're drawn to the love of God. I wanna encourage us and challenge us, man, love one another, Love one another. Love believers. As we come in and out of our church building, let's let's love one another. Let's love each other outside of the building. Have believers over to your house. Be the one who takes initiative and say, come on over. Let's get together. let's, Let's grab coffee. Pray for believers. It's impossible to live out the commands in Scripture and be isolated. Because there's so many one another commands in scripture. We're a body. And we're going to miss out on what Christ has for us if we're not loving one another. Love believers well in this church family, but also the body of Christ. Love Vanguard Church. Love Discovery Church. Love Calvary Methodist. Love New Life Church. Love Mountain Springs. Love First Pres. Man, we need each other as, as believers. We need one another. You've got believers at work? Love on them. You've got believers in your neighborhood? Love on them. Love on them. This is when there's been a move of God is when believers begin to love each other with a supernatural type, type of love. And that's the challenge that Christ gives to us. We end with a focus on Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards, speaking of heaven. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Before the sun comes up, Peter, you're going to deny me three times no, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to die with you. What Peter didn't factor in here is what happens so many times in our lives, and it's our own weakness. It's our own weakness. We're gonna see a changed man in Peter. By the time you get to the book of Acts, he's a humbled man. He's a man who's been restored. But at this point, he feels like, no, I've got this. I, I can do this. The scripture tells us if we think we stand to take heed lest we fall. You know, it's a good thing to wake up in the morning and say, I don't have enough to do today. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough wisdom. There's more challenges than I have answers. That's a good place to be. A dangerous place to be is I got this under control. I got the answers. I got this wrapped up. We need to be careful when we hear words coming out of our mouth that says, I will never do this. Right? Because in that statement, we're overestimating our own strength. We're not realizing our own weakness. We're all just one decision away. There's a lot of mighty men and women of God who have fallen. Peter is a mighty man of God. He loves the Lord. It's genuine. It's sincere. And in the moment of a few hours, he does what he never thought he would do, and he denies the Lord three times. And that's the reality for all of us. So to be in that place of meekness, to be in that place of, of weakness, and I don't like saying this because it's painful, but weakness is the greatest gift that God gives to us. When there's challenge and there's trial and there's difficulty and there's, there's struggle and there's temptation that we can't overcome apart from Christ, that brings us to that place of humility and that place of dependency upon the Lord. This amazing promise of God that he gives to us is that he resists the proud. When we're prideful, Jesus takes an opposing adversarial position with us in his love for us saying i'm going to oppose your pride but on the other side of that he gives grace to the humble grace is unearned undeserved unmerited favor it's his help it's his kindness it's his blessing upon our lives when we're humble when we're broken when we're weak and we're depending upon the lord So, so much for us to learn from the scriptures this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that God would bring application. Father, we do pray that we would understand more of your glory, that we would understand more of your love for us. We want to know the love of God that passes knowledge. For those that have never received you and trusted you for salvation, that today they would be saved for believers that know you well, Lord, that you would take them deeper in experiencing the love of Christ. Holy Spirit, would you help us to to love one another? May we love like crazy. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the love that we have inside of our church and Would that just explode? And may we love other churches. May we love the the body of Christ as a whole entire family. Protect us from pride. Protect us from that place of thinking that we've got it under control. We don't have anything under our control. Protect us from sin. Protect us from temptation. Guard our hearts. Keep us from drifting from you. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.